you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me, that's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. everybody what is up happy easter this is your boy rob clark this is episode 56 of the lone gunman podcast a special easter bonus episode it's book review time that's right people i got off work early tonight and it's my easter gift to you uh i don't feel like going home yet so uh, i feel like uh reaching out and touching the people and it's a show I've been wanting to do for a while because I do read a lot and I know you guys do too so every once in a while I'm going to drop a a book review show and we're going to talk about some books and I'll just go ahead and let you know now that I have some weird tastes um, as evident tonight for example and it could be fiction it could be fact it really doesn't matter to me um, I, I do enjoy both, uh, uh, you know, surrounding the JFK assassination. The two tonight are, f- <laughs> I was getting ready to say fiction. Um, <laughs> one is probably fiction and the other is maybe fiction, but they're both meant to be factual. So yeah, it's going to be one of them nights. This is, it's, you know, kind of me giving you a heads up. <laughs> hey, don't bother reading these books because I have, and I'm telling you, uh, save your money. 
But uh, before we get into it, I just want to remind everyone out there, make sure you head over to tlgpodcast.com. That's tlgpodcast.com. That's short for The Lone Gunman, tlgpodcast.com. And check out all the stuff over there. Make sure you uh, check out ROKC 2015 conference. There's a button on my website that will take you over there and give you everything you need as far as information for getting there, getting your tickets, uh, where to stay, what to do when you're there. <clears throat> and I, I have it on good authority that uh, uh, anybody traveling from the United States over there, uh, will ha- get, Greg Parker will be giving personal tours. Uh, of all the great uh, Melbourne landmarks uh, for everybody. Um, that's a joke, people. But I'm sure he would if you asked him. He's a he's a pretty nice guy. Um, so, you know, I I was thinking, you know, I've been reading a lot of books here lately. You know, I read uh, Adam Go Rightly's book on Thornley, and I talked to him about it. I read Greg Parker's book. Um, and I talked to him about it. Uh, I've talked to Carmine Savastano, who's writing a book. And I've talked to him about it. Uh, I've talked to David Joseph, who's writing a book. And I've talked to him about it. But I've also been reading a lot. And reading is something I will always do. I will never stop until I die. Um, and hopefully somebody will put some books in my coffin. Because <laughs> I might not stop then. Um... I probably read, I would say, somewhere, and I know it's a long range, uh, somewhere between 100 and 200 books. Maybe 300. I don't know. It's a big number. It's quite embarrassing, actually. Um, I do have a large collection of books. I have over 100 books of my own. Um... The rest were either begged, borrowed, or, or stolen along the way. Um, so let's get right into it. The first book I want to talk about tonight. Uh, okay, here we go. It's it's a, it's a Kindle book. I don't even know if it's in hardcover or paperback. I don't think so. I think it's pure Kindle, uh, and it's cheap. I think it was only three, four, five bucks, something like that. Nothing, nothing more than five bucks. Um, the name of the book is "If Kennedy Gets in the Way," and it's by a fellow named John Gold. Now, <laughs> and you know how I love coincidences. Uh, John Gold uh, was a pseudonym that Fred Crispin used. Uh, for his on-air persona when he was a DJ in Washington. And uh, is that a coincidence? Maybe. Sounds like a sounds like a pseudonym to me, but I looked the guy up on Facebook. He has a profile. Um, and that's about all I can tell you. Um, he appears to be a real fellow, but, uh, you know, of course I don't know him. <clears throat> but what intrigued me <clears throat> a little bit, as I saw this book posted in the uh, 
uh, JFK book group that I'm no longer a part of. Thank you, Andrea Skolnick. I know you're listening. Um, cause I was booted out by her and so I made my own JFK book group and Andrea Skolnick is not allowed. So if you would like a drama free, bitch free, uh, psychotic free environment to talk about JFK books, um, feel free to look mine up on Facebook and join. I think it's JFK conspiracy books. Uh, fact and fiction is the, is the name of the group. Um, where was I here? Oh yes, John Gold and his book, If Kennedy Gets in the Way. Now, the author is admittedly not an author. He is actually claims to be a preacher or a pastor or a man of God or something to that effect. Which, of course, is awfully convenient when you're writing a story that requires a lot of faith and belief. And, coincidentally, thrown out there on the 50th anniversary of the assassination. Coincidence? Who knows? You know, a lot. You got a lot of books around the 50th because people knew they could cash in. You got a lot of books around... You know, the 40th, you got a lot of books around the 30th, uh, you got a lot of books around, uh, you know, when Oliver Stone's movie came out, you know, there's a big surge of books. So, and the other book I'm going to talk about comes from that surge uh, surrounding the movie JFK. This one, pardon me, (laughs) excuse me, Uh, this one comes from the 50th, and it's written in a very weird style, almost a journal style, not really a novel, uh, there's no supporting documents, there's absolutely no evidence in the book whatsoever, okay, this is a story, now, of course, it's up, up to the reader whether we believe the story, or we believe the person, this man of God telling the story, but this man of God, supposedly John Gold, is just a relayer of information, okay, um, he claims to have been approached or meet, uh, met a man that, uh, he called Mark, admittedly not his real name. Um, but this fellow Mark had met him and I guess talked to him. They had a good rapport going and felt the need to confide in Pastor John Gold. Uh, about something in his deep, dark past uh, that he was still feeling guilty over. And, (laughs) of course, um, Mark spins this tale of participating in the assassination of JFK. But it's not what you think. Okay? Here's basically how Mark relays it here in a nutshell. Um, Mark joined the Navy at age 18. Okay. Uh, after a couple weeks into basic training, he was selected to participate in specialized training. And him and 250 other recruits were sent 
to San Diego, I believe, um, where they were at some facility and they were, they were, you know, trained and tested and, uh, pushed to their limits, both physically and mentally. Um, you know, they were, uh, gauged on their marksmanship. They were gauged on their, you know, ability to be deceptive, their ability to kill without question, their ability to serve their country without question, uh, how they how they dealt with pressure, how they worked under pressure. Um, you know, basically he, he, he says that, you know, the Navy was trying to create whatever it exactly was that they were looking for. So, from these 250 recruits, uh, it eventually gets whittled down and 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 whittled down, and whittled down until eventually... Eventually, there's 10 of them left. And these 10 are the one that is going to embark on this mission. Okay? And not all of them are shooters. There's, I think, four or five shooters and five or six distractors, is what they're called, in the book. Now... (laughs) Just just that on its face, okay, is a little mm, suspect for me that the Navy would trust this important mission to new recruits that are 19 years old, 19 and a half, okay? You know, Mark was 19 and a half. You know, all these people joining the, the, uh, the Navy, you know, were right around the age 18 back then. Um, all young. So that was a red flag for me, personally. I mean, it's possible, okay, but is it probable? You know, I don't think that uh, anybody would leave it up to 19-year-olds to carry this thing out flawlessly, but let's move on. Um, so now Steve, uh, or Mark, shit um relates this uh i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit relates this uh tale of these tenant ten of them and they're called you know they're called in the room and they're, they're told what's going to happen and basically the reason they're doing this is because somebody wants john Connolly dead somebody does not want john Connolly to ascend to the office of the president, which is what whoever sparked this was afraid of. Um, you know, and with good reason. You know, I'm sure if uh, things had gone a little differently, um, you know, maybe Connolly could have got in under Johnson as his vice president and then eventually ran for president. It's hard to say. Um, or, you know, Johnson never would have been president. I, I don't think if he was, if he would have tried to run on his own and get elected on his own, he just didn't have the chops. Kennedy would have likely been reelected. And by then Johnson would have been looked at as probably 
too old and a step back instead of a step forward. You know, especially after eight years of Kennedy. So, and he likely would have been going against Kennedy's brother, Robert Kennedy. So, it was a big mess. You know, the Democrats had their hands full back then. Uh, you know, as far as uh, competition. And thus the title of the book, If Kennedy Gets in the Way. The orders were to shoot him anyway. Like they were saying, it doesn't matter. If Kennedy gets in the way, oh well. Then he gets in the way, as long as we get our target. Okay. So then, you know, Mark, Mark goes through and tells all these little rules they have. You know, like if you're walking down the street and you see one of your team members on the street, you don't acknowledge each other. Um, you never speak anybody else's name. Of course, they were all given false identities for a couple years uh, and, and that they used during the mission and everything. And Mark tells of a scouting trip to Dallas and how things were going to be. And I'll post a picture up on the website of, and I forget what building it eventually would become, but there was a seven or eight story building. If you look at Dealey Plaza with the excuse me school book depository on the left okay this building would have been on the right and it was to the right of that big castle building i I don't even know what that is right offhand uh but there was a basically it was nothing but scaffolding and partially partially done floors and that was where he was to be before they changed the motorcade route you know if kennedy would have continued straight down main street that's where he would have been shooting from. But there was a change. Thus, the plan and, and Mark's plan had to change. He was then given new orders to shoot from the roof of the Dow Text building. And he goes in this big, long, descriptive uh, diatribe about how uh, he goes up the elevator to the 6th or 7th floor. I think it was the seventh floor and he gets out of the elevator and he meets a heavy set Hispanic woman who questioned his presence there. And at the time he was wearing uh, coveralls and carrying a bag. And he pulled out his secret service ID, which he had been given. He had on a suit underneath of his coveralls and that will come in handy in a minute. But he showed this woman, his secret service ID and said, I'm a Secret Service agent. I need to get to the roof. Can you tell me where the roof hatch is? So she tells him, and he goes up to the roof hatch. And, you know, supposedly he's up there for 40 minutes or so waiting. And, of course, the motorcade is late. And he tells it, you know, waiting on his knees, uh, waiting crouched. And, uh, you know, he basically was saying that he, the parapet was up, was so low up on the roof that he couldn't stand up without being super, you know, really visible. And, you know, finally, you know, the motorcade comes down there and he lets three fly. He knows he hit Connolly once. He knows he missed once. And he doesn't know if he hit or missed his third one. Now, of course, you must remember that as part of this story... There were other shooters. There were other distractors. 
And we'll get into some of these distractors here in a minute. They, you know, they come into the story. One of them that Mark claims was a distractor was the Babushka lady, who we all know about. You know, her job was to focus attention on the grassy knoll area. Um, among other things. And of course, there was another. Uh, right before the motorcade got there, a guy with epilepsy there on the corner of Elm and Houston. And there was another distractor who was supposed to, you know, be pointing out the uh, sixth floor of the school book depository. Where actually nobody was, um, they had they had set it up, um, you know, to look like Oswald was up there shooting. So anyway, Mark comes back, strips out of his coveralls, puts them in his bag, puts breaks his gun down, puts it in the bag. Now he's in a suit. Now he's a Secret Service agent. He flips his badge out, hops on the elevator, and the elevator fills it with people. In the Dowtex, on his way down. As soon as the elevator hits the ground floor, he says that he comes out blazing. Excuse me, excuse me, Secret Service agent here. Excuse me, pardon me, let me through. I have to get through. I'm a Secret Service agent. Blah, 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 blah. Now, of course, there's no record of a heavy set Hispanic lady saying she saw a Secret Service agent on the seventh floor asking where the roof was. We don't have that. Uh, we don't have any testimony of people um, in the leaving the Dow Tech's building, uh, having a Secret Service agent screaming to get out of the way that he needs through. Um, you know, we don't have that either. So, and we don't see in any of the photo or, or film records of that day um, anybody dressed like a Secret Service agent carrying a bag into Dealey Plaza out of the Dow Tech's. To where he says he goes to a waiting pickup truck, a you know construction pickup truck that had a bunch of shovels and tarps and stuff in the back, driven by a female distractor. Okay. Now, surely, and he says it was idling on the curb at the curb on Elm Street. Okay, and this is just moments after the assassination. He says he walked down Elm Street and gets in the idling truck driven by a waiting female distractor. And then he fumbles around and he tries to put his or pull the seat up to put his bag behind it. And it won't come up. She tries to help him. It still won't come up. So then he has to stuff it in there. <clears throat> so they were apparently there for quite a while. But yet we have nobody seeing this. We have it nowhere on film. I mean, come on. Come on. Um, you know, there to me, you know, you, you're going to take almost a year and a half to plan this thing. And the best plan you can come up with is have one of the shooters walk into Dealey Plaza with a bag after the assassination and try to and, and get in a truck idling on Elm Street. I mean, come on. You know. Walk the other way. You know what I'm saying? Get the hell away from Houston and Elm and Maine and all that shit. Get, you know, have them walk a couple blocks the other way. Get extracted that way. You know, I, 
But whatever, you know, this is Mark's story now. So then he tells of hopping in the truck with the lady, female distractor, and she's really icy, she's really cold, she's really quiet and calculated, and they go pick up, of course, they drive to Oak Cliff and pick up two other people, two shooters. And of course, now, mind you, it's a pickup truck. So these two dudes, who were also shooters, who also ended up killing J.D. Tippett, so he says. They pick him up on Oak Cliff, and uh, the woman goes back and covers him up with these tarps and shit. And she gets back in the cab, and she's like, these two dummies just killed a cop. Which wasn't part of the plan, I'm assuming. So then it tells of her driving an hour and a half outside of Dallas to Mineral Springs, Texas. And then pulling over and boom, boom, capping both of them in the back of the truck. And blood flies everywhere all over the truck. And she tells them to grab a shovel. They bury the two dead dudes, all the guns, all the clothes, the IDs, all that stuff goes in the hole. Gone forever. They hop back in the truck, drive back to Dallas to a safe house in Oak Cliff where she drops him off and he is safely extracted um, out of there. Now, then he is debriefed, of course, and uh, put back into part of the service until he's discharged where he becomes you know, a normal person again. Now, uh, here's some problems with the story. If your whole mission, your whole mission is to kill Connolly, okay, and I, I, I did leave out a little part of the story, which I forgot, um, after he entered the truck on Elm Street, she, the distra- the female distractor told him that they had to drive to, they had to go to Parkland first uh, to find out the condition on John Connolly. So they said they drove to Parkland and he got out of the truck and waited up with the with the other crowd of people, you know, waiting for word. Well, Con- they comes back with word that the president is dead and Connolly's injured and in surgery. So he comes back and tells her that. Then they go pick up the two dummies in Oak Cliff. Um, now, you know, you spent almost two years planning this. But you didn't have a better plan to make sure that John Connolly didn't live if that was your whole plan. You know, you didn't have a backup crew on the way to the hospital to pop a couple more in him to make sure he's dead. You didn't have anybody in the hospital, you know, to jab a needle full of whatever into his ass and kill him if that was your plan all along no Kennedy ends up dying Connolly ends up living okay Connolly lived a nice long life you know (laughs) he didn't die until you know the early 90s and you know he was kind of old back in 63 so do the math he lived a nice long life, him and his wife, and I'm sure his kids and grandkids and all that happy horse shit. And he never did run for president, which is what they were afraid of, so maybe they did end up winning. I don't know. 
But anyway, this is the story that Mark feeds us and expects us to believe. Not one iota of proof. Not one iota of evidence. Now, how hard would it have been for him to actually go look for and see if he could find that spot in Mineral Springs, Texas, where they buried those two dummies, all the guns and the clothes and all that stuff. Now, if he went and dug that up, there's your proof right there that you're telling the truth. Okay. Um, but he didn't do that. He didn't even bother looking for the, see if he could find the spot again. And he also tells of after they were done burying all that stuff. They went to a service station and calmly washed the blood off the back of the truck because hitting deer in Texas is so common. Well, you know, if you hit a deer with your truck, the chances of blood splattering on your back window of your truck, pretty slim to none. You know, if you have a truck, you're generally going to jam up in your bumper and radiator the front of your truck because you need to be traveling forward. You know, you're not going to get deer blood splattered on the back window of your pickup truck. It just never happens, you know, unless you... I don't even know how that will even be possible, to be honest with you. But he tells us that that is part of the story. And, you know, he goes on to say that, he, you know, he was debriefed. He was uh, given back his old identity. And, you know, he hadn't been that person in a couple of years. And, it, you know, he describes how hard it was. And I'll cry me a river, dude, you know, like. Who gives a shit? And, you know, also, if this dude really cared and he was really truthful, then he wouldn't come up with this fake name crap, okay? Tell us who you are so we can look up your military records, see if you're telling the truth. You know? It's, it's, a, it's a story at best, okay? Without anything else, it's just a story. Add it to the many. You know, added to James Files and Judy Baker and all these other story storytellers and myth makers surrounding the assassination looking to cash in and make a buck. You know, or gain some kind of sick, twisted fame from all this stuff. You know, it's... <clears throat> I don't know. But anyway, that's my review of If Kennedy Gets in the Way. And I will give it a... Half a bullet. See, I'm going on the, the five bullet standard here. Five bullets being a great book. Okay? Since I am the lone gunman here, I figured I'd use bullets, you know, for my for my book reviews. You know, five bullets is is, is a great book. And uh you know, four is is a good book. Uh maybe buy it. Five would be you can't miss it. You have to own it. Uh, three would be a good book. Maybe get it from the library or read it in the bookstore. Don't buy it, you know, don't spend money on it. Two is, I made a mistake. 
you know, horrible. One is just horrible. And a half a bullet, you, you know, you really got to screw up to get half a bullet. And that's what this is. It's half a bullet. You know, it's it's a story with no evidence and, you know, a suspect author to boot. And what initially you know, got me just a little interested to see what was going on here is the guy that posted the book in this in this book group was <laughs> a former person in the Navy in 1963, according to his profile. And his, he even had profile pictures of him standing on a on a boat back in uh, 63. So I asked the guy, I said, you sure know a lot about this book and this author. I said, are you sure you're not Mark? And uh, he's like, he said, I get why you might think that. I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, are you or are you not? Well, I can't tell you. So, you know, initially that piqued my interest, but... You know, who knows? People can get pictures from whatever, whenever. I'm not going to lend credence to it till you get a little proof. All you got to do is go dig up them bodies, get that proof. You know, we have no documents whatsoever from the Navy talking about this secret assassination plan or, you know, because Connolly was Secretary of the Navy, you know, in the years pre- uh, right before the assassination. You know, he was the big swinging dick of the Navy, um, you know, before this. So, you know, I just don't see the Navy being the ones coming up with this plan and using their own recruits that are 19 years old to carry this plan out. Plan fails. You know, everybody's like, oh, well. And, uh, yeah, sorry, Jack, you got in the way, bro. Uh, but that's the price of doing business. You know, it's what's best for business. You know, I don't get it. So, if if what I talked about piques your interest at all and you want to waste your money, feel free. Now, the next book I want to talk to you about is called Flashback. The story of Lee Harvey Oswald, in which Ron Lewis, a former convict and claimer to be Lee Harvey Oswald's best friend, while in New Orleans, the summer before the assassination. Okay. Now, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of people trash this book. But one thing about it intrigued me. And it's this. That if the guy is telling the truth, and that's a big ass if, but if this guy is telling the truth, then Judy Baker is a bald-faced liar. <laughs> That's what made me buy the book. Because I wanted to read it for myself and make my own conclusions. And it's, instead of following the, uh, the flocks of others who just immediately discount this book for one reason or another. Now, once again, this book is mostly a story. <laughs> and there's... You know, a lot of unbelievable elements in this story. But Ron Lewis maintains that, that they are true. Um, such as, you know, he maintained that uh, Lee spent a lot of time at Adrian Alba's garage there. You know, the, the Crescent City garage claims that he had a little makeshift 
office out of like a closet in there uh, where he kept his flyers and he kept a gun in the air conditioner housing. And that Lee would, would head over there every morning before he went to work at Riley Coffee Company. He would come over there and spend time when he was supposed to be working at Riley Coffee Company. And he would spend a little bit of time there after he got off work at the Riley Coffee Company. And Ron Lewis said that he was by there or saw or talked to Lee Oswald every, almost every day in New Orleans that summer before the assassination. And guess who's not mentioned in his book? Judith Baker. And if Ron's telling the truth, he would have seen her if she was around. And, uh, you know, he don't mention her. If Lee was messing around on Marina, he would have mentioned it. He mentioned other things about Lee Oswald that, are, that weren't really too flattering and weren't really popular with the assassination community uh, back in the early 90s. Um, you know, he, his, he almost paints Lee in a bad light, claiming that uh, he claims that Lee had knowledge beforehand um, that, that there was a plot to kill Kennedy. And you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that. So, you know, I don't know if that's the reason a lot of people discount this book. You know, he's, uh, he claims that Oswald shot at General Walker and missed on purpose, wanted to scare him. Um, he was going to shoot, uh, I think it was one of, one of the Longs, I don't, not maybe not Huey Long, but there was a lot of Longs in the Long family down there, uh, you know, running for governor, a public office, local office, and I think he was going to shoot one of them or blow up the bridge named after the Long to scare, scare the wife or something to this effect. I don't even know. Very hard to follow. Um, but. But, 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 I will tell you this. Okay, Ron Lewis's story was personally checked out and vetted by Robert T. Johnson, Administrator of the Archives of the JFK Assassination Information Center in Dallas, Texas, and Larry Howard, okay, President, Director, JFK Assassination Information Center, Dallas, Texas. And what Robert says about the book, Flashback is not just a book, it's the untold story of Lee Harvey Oswald. It's a must for every serious researcher into the Kennedy assassination. It's a marvelous book. Larry Howard states, Ron Lewis's account is absolutely credible. All of what he told me was true. He just knew some things that no one else knew. This was confirmed by my research. And that is Larry Howard. Um, whew, you know, these guys put their reputations on the line backing this dude. And, you know, the book itself is, uh, pretty well written. You know, it's like, uh, 260 some pages, I think. Got pictures in it and everything else. Um, you know, I was expecting something different, I guess. Um. 
it actually surprised me a little bit about, you know, exactly what it was, what I was doing. <laughs> and Oliver Stone found this cat credible. Now, for a lot of people out there, that doesn't mean much. Um, all you had to do was fart in the general direction of the grassy knoll, and Oliver Stone uh, found, thought you were credible. Um, but apparently, there was a meeting, and I don't. I think it was uh, this guy Howard, or maybe I think Gary Shaw was involved at some point in all this. I'm not really sure. Um, I think it was the guys from the Assassination Information Center and Oliver Stone and Ron Lewis went to meet with Marina because in his book, Ron tells of a chance encounter he had with Marina where he was leaving the Crescent City Garage one day in kind of a, not a run, but he was in a hurry and came flying out of there and almost knocked over Marina who was pushing who was very pregnant and pushing a stroller down the street and at the time he he didn't say anything but he knew who she was he had seen her with Lee before but never met her and he didn't mention it to Lee at the time before he went to Dallas he says that Lee gave him the change of address card to take to the post office for him and that he filled it out for him, but he did it in print. And he said, if you get that card, it'll have my handwriting. So they went and obtained the card from the national archives. And of course it's written in cursive by the postmaster. It, you know, it doesn't match Lee or Marina's or anybody else's handwriting. And what he was thinking happened is that when, after he turned it in, because he had printed it, that the postmaster had redone it in cursive and threw his his original change of address card away. And that would have been a, a real solid piece of proof for his story. But this is what we get instead. So all these guys, Oliver Stone included, go meet Marina. And he's relating to Marina the story of how he was coming out of the Crescent City garage one day. And he almost bowled her over. And that she was pregnant, she was pushing a stroller, and it stuck out in his mind because she was very, very far from home. I'm talking like 40, 40 some blocks. And he was thinking to himself as he walked away, like, you know, she shouldn't be here. But, you know, he just kept on going. Never looked back. And he relayed that story to Marina, and Marina goes like, you know, oh my God, I remember that happening because... I had followed Lee to work that day or, or followed Lee to see what he was doing that day. And she's like, this is the only time that I ever followed him to see, you know, if he was at work or what he was doing. Cause I guess Marina was very suspicious of, of what he was doing. And she remembers, you know, this guy almost knocking her down, you know, when she was pushing the stroller because she, she did have to walk a very, very far long way. And she was pregnant at the time. So, yeah, it, it stuck it out in her memory. And this, of course, you know, corroborates a little bit of, of what Ron Lewis was saying. At least in the eyes of Oliver Stone and uh, and Howard, Larry uh, Howard. So, 
That's it, though. Okay? You know, once again, we get a story. And you can actually see Ron Lewis. And I'll post it up on the website. He was uh, part of a, I guess, a panel discussion in a video that came out in the early 90s. And it was uh, hosted by James Earl Jones called uh, JFK The Final Analysis. And Ron Lewis is in the video. And so is Oliver Stone stating that he finds him credible. So take it for what you will. You know, I want to believe because if that's the true version of things, then Judith Judith Baker's book is a fairy tale even more than I thought it was before. And, you know, you look for this independent uh, corroboration, you know, and, and of course, Ron Lewis wrote this book before Judy ever came out or said anything, you know, so... You know, for this guy to to state how you know exactly how much time he was spending with 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 Lee Oswald, and you know we're talking in the mornings after work, in the evenings, you know not not every evening but a lot of evenings, and uh, you know he he didn't paint Lee in a good light, you know. He said basically Lee had recruited him, you know, to keep an eye on on what was going on at certain political rallies and report back and that they were all working for Bannister in some form or fashion or another. And, you know, if he's telling the truth, then, you know, it's a pretty good book. So, you know, take it for what you will. I'm glad that I got it. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad I'm familiar with it. And I'm glad, I'm glad I own it. Because it's not a very easy book to get your hands on. Um, I would say... I'm going to give this book somewhere in the middle. Three bullets. I would say, if you can get your hands on it and read it without having to pay for it, like at a library, do that. Uh... You know, if you really, really want to read it, spend your money. If you want to own this book, go ahead and get it on Amazon. Pay your money and get it. <laughs> you know, it's a 25-year-old book or close to it. So, you know, it's I don't even know if he's still alive, to be honest with you. Probably not, but I don't know. It's possible. You know, he would have been close to Lee Oswald's age, he, so this cat would only be in his 70s right now but I haven't heard nothing of him and uh, I was telling Francesca earlier in the group that uh, you know another thing that this this guy does is he comes on the scene he writes a book he tells a story and disappears you know he don't stick around for for years and years and years and try to milk off this story in in his book Um, he came out he said what he had to say and he's gone again and he says he saw what happened to Oswald because Ruby killed Oswald. And he knew, he said he knew that, that Lee had known Jack. And, you know, he drove the laundry, tr- he drove a laundry truck full of guns. And, and Lee definitely knew who Jack Ruby was. 
And Jack Ruby definitely knew who Lee Oswald was. And he said when he saw Jack Ruby kill Lee Oswald like that, that it scared him real bad. Like he didn't want to, he didn't want anybody associated with that to think that he knew something that he shouldn't know. And, you know, he states he disappeared for, you know, 10 years, just off the radar, off the grid, uh, unfindable. He changed his name, you know, all kinds of stuff. So he might've done that again. You know, it's hard to say, but you know, that kind of lends credence to me. The guy might be telling the truth, but take it for what you will. Check them out on your own. It's your money. People spend it how you want to spend it. Um, but you know, I bought them. I'm glad I have them as part of my collection. You know, they are, well, I'll say flashback is, 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 is one of the rare ones. Um, as far as that other book, the first book I talked about, if Kennedy gets in the way, um, I'm glad it's on Kindle so I don't have to look at it every day. That's probably definitely for sure. And I wish there was a money-back guarantee for Kindle books because I would have asked for one for that one because I think it's just blatant lies and it meant to, you know, obfuscate and uh, lead people down wrong paths. But anyway... I think that's it for today. You know, gave you two books. One, If Kennedy Would Have Lived by John Gold. And Flashback, The Story of Lee Harvey Oswald by Ron Lewis. Not to be confused with David or Anna Lewis. This is Ron Lewis. Uh, so, if you enjoy the reviews or, or you want to just check them out on your own, feel free. Uh, but at least you have a little more information in your skull cap going into your decision than you did before. Uh, courtesy of me, your boy, the Loom Gunman, Rob Clark, here with you on Easter morning with a special show just for you. The Easter Bunny is hopping his happy ass right on top of Spreaker and laying a giant egg just for you, full of goodies. Uh, just to show you my appreciation, show you some love. I've been feeling it lately from you. You know, I, I see everybody out there in all these different countries, all over the world, all over the United States. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, taking the time to like the show, follow the show, share the show. Everybody out there, you know who you are, and you know I appreciate it more than you will ever know. Uh but that's it you know I just wanted to pop this show out there while I got some time and make a little early Easter treat for you guys so enjoy your day tomorrow whatever you believe if, if you if, even if it doesn't mean anything to you um, just enjoy your day happy Easter everybody Passover whatever else is going on out there spring, spring solstice or whatever it is do a dance around the tree, you know, you crazy Wiccan. Uh, but that's it. That's it for me, people. <laughs> I love you guys. Keep tuning in. Keep listening. Spread the word. I need your help. Keep it alive, people. If you like what you hear, you want to keep it alive, help a brother out. Okay? Open your mouth. Share. Press a button. Not hard. Leave me a favorable, favorable review on iTunes. Whatever you can do for me, I appreciate it. 
This son of a bitch is in the can, beamed up directly to the satellite, down directly to the Easter Bunny. This is your boy, Rob Clark, here on Easter, chewing a carrot, carrying a basket, and I'm out. Stay tuned, people. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 US only. <laughs>